today's episode, I sit down with James Stillwell, managing partner and one of the founders of Stillwell Earl and Apostolakis LLP, and a leader in our community. He's been practicing in Montgomery County for 26 years. He handles a wide range of litigation matters, regularly prepares estate planning documents, and also helps business clients with business transactions. He has been awarded the top rating for ability and ethics given by the Martin Hubble, a lawyer rating organization, and has received numerous other legal honors and recognitions. James also has an extensive background of service to our community, including having served as the chairman of Leadership Montgomery County, the chairman of the Woodlands Area Chamber of Commerce, and the vice president and soon-to-be president of the Woodlands Arts Council, as well as having served numerous other nonprofits in and around Montgomery County, Texas. James regularly volunteers with EFTA and always has interesting stories to tell from his life and career. James and I talk about why he decided to go to law school and to pursue a career of helping people in both small and large firms. He shares that his greatest accomplishment has been representing a wide range of clients, but but specifically how he was able to represent a client in the Texas Supreme Court. If you are listening and you have any interest in going to law school or becoming an attorney, I highly recommend that you listen to this entire episode. James shares some amazing stories at the end about his career, his clients, and I truly believe that he shares his passion for his work and some great examples of cases that local attorneys face each day. Hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Good morning, James. How are you? Hey, good morning. I am doing fine, Corinne. How are you? I am doing well. Happy Monday. Thanks for thanks for joining me for the What I Wish I Knew podcast. I am so excited to be here today. Yes, I know that we've had you on various career panels, so I know that we've had a lot of students that have been able to hear from you and learn from you. You've been part of our internship program, and so I'm just looking forward to have you here to introduce you to more listeners. Um, I've done a little bit of introduction for you on the front end, but if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what it is that you do. Sure. Uh, I'm a trial lawyer and I own a law firm in the Woodlands area that is named Stillwell Earl and Apostolakis. Uh, Within that law firm, I am one of the owners and my title is managing partner, which means I am both a a trial lawyer by day, and I also run the business of our business, and so I manage the business of the law firm. Great. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you guys are great supporters of EFTA, so we thank you for that, and um, I know our interns, when they've been able to be in person with you guys, have always enjoyed it, and then last year when we did our online virtual internship program, um, we had some great feedback from the, the students that were able to work with you and your team, so um, we'll just kind of jump right in. I know, and I know this from listening to many attorneys and people within the legal industry that they kind of knew that this is what they wanted to do, and they that's what they went to school for. That's what they wanted to do when they were in high school, and kind of that's what they're doing now. And and I, I don't know if that's just a, a, a common theme amongst attorneys, or um, but what do you feel like you were being called to when you selected? and I want to go in and I want to become an attorney and maybe even owning your own practice one day. 
or you do, but what was that kind of thought process when you were entering into that? Sure. So, um, so I'm not sure that I always wanted to be a lawyer, although from, I guess, from the points in time when I started being real serious about, you know, what's my future going to look like, uh, I guess in, in junior high, I really wanted to be a marine biologist. So, um, but somewhere along the way, as I started looking into careers and what my skills were and what my teachers told me and what my um, counselors told me, um, I did a lot of theater and I did a lot of speech and debate. Uh, and my teachers always encouraged me to head towards the practice of law. Um, I was actually very interested in that because something that was super important to me was helping people. Uh, that is the thing that I probably love most about my job and why I have stuck with it for 26 years, um, because um, every day I feel like I am helping people. Um, and I've done that in a variety of different law job relationships, Corinne. I have um, been a just, just me, solo practitioner. Uh, I have been a part of a law firm that had over 500 attorneys. Um, and I landed somewhere in between where I really liked um, owning and managing my own business. Uh, and I also liked having um, a smaller number of other attorneys around. My current law firm has eight attorneys and that's been a happy number for us. We've been slowly growing and I don't ever see us being 500. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but having uh, uh, other attorneys around to bounce things off of and to, uh, to, to share the caseload and the workload is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. That is, to be able to go from like be a solo to 500, that is a wide range. And that kind of gives you a sense of what you, like you said, what you do want and what you don't want to be kind of in and working with. So I think that's a great a great example that you've done both sides. Yeah, it's it's been really fun to see a variety of different um, forms of law businesses mm -hmm. from itsy bitsy to great big gigantic and to really get to know myself better and what was the best working situation for me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that then I, there are kind of requirements whenever you get in, in through school and law school of whether, whether it's a clerkship or an internship or something along those terms, what do you feel like you did well to prepare you for entering into this career? So maybe part of that requirement, but then at the outside stuff that you did or the people that helped you along the way. Sure. So the, the most basic things in order to become a lawyer, you have to have an undergraduate degree. Um, you have to have a law school degree, uh, and you have to pass the licensing exam in order to um, get your license to practice law. Um, so you can get any kind of undergraduate degree that you want to. You can have a degree in music and become a lawyer. You can have a degree in medicine and become a lawyer. Um, me personally, I got a combined uh, business degree and political science degree. So I have a double degree from Baylor University in economics and political science. Um, part of what I was thinking when I did that was I wanted some business training because I had a feeling that somewhere along the way, 
that I might like to have my own business and, and I knew it would be good to get some extra skill set there. Right. And then beyond that, um, I, I really appreciated, particularly in my political science degree, the quantity of reading and writing that was involved. Um, those are two everyday tools of the trade for lawyers. Um, almost any kind of practice of law that you do, mm-hmm. you do a ton of reading and writing. Beyond that, as a trial lawyer, I also have good oral advocacy skills. And so um, persuasive arguing, uh, convincing judges, opposing lawyers, um, jury members to uh, vote for my client's um, end outcome. All of those things are really important. And along the way, um, in high school and in my undergraduate, I was able to participate in a lot of activities to help me improve on my speaking skills, improve on my arguing skills, quick thinking, lots and lots of writing. I'm just making sure I take notes so that I can follow, follow along. Um, so I think I think that's a big point that you kind of made at the beginning about it can be any degree. That always gets our students that come through the internship program or are part of panels. It's that it it's a wide, the, the attorneys that come and be part of our programs, it's a wide range of that undergraduate degree that they started out with. And then they eventually kind of learned that becoming a lawyer and going to law schools where they wanted. So um, listeners kind of take that as a, as a kind of takeaway, if that's something that you, if entering into law school and things like that is something that you were interested in, um, that might be something to consider. On the What I Wish I Knew podcast, I wish I knew that you could <laughs> any kind of degree and then go on to law school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so we are going to take a short break. For the spring semester of 2021, we are excited to bring back our Distinguished Speaker series. This series is for local high school students to log in, join us via Zoom, to hear from leaders from companies in our community, but also companies from across the country. These sessions will take place twice a month on the first and third Thursday of every month from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. To learn more details and to register in advance, visit the EFTA website, www.efta-us.org, and click on our virtual speaking events. Um, You can find the details about our podcast, but also the details about our Distinguished Speaker Series for the spring semester. We look forward to having you join us. All right, welcome back. We are speaking with James Stillwell, who is the managing partner of Stillwell Earl and Apostolakis. I've been practicing that. I've I've been we've I've worked with you for many years, and I've never been able to get um, her last name right. And so I feel like I, I did pretty well there, right? I, that was fabulous. <laughs> uh, and my partner, my partner Robin, has a great sense of humor. <laughs> probably the funniest thing ever was we got a letter addressed to Stillwell Earl and Apocalypse. Well, <laughs> so they they got a couple of the letters right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Robin is great and has a great sense of humor, but you did fabulous pronouncing. Okay, good, good. All right, so what do you feel like, I mean, you've been in um, this industry for 
for many years and you've mentioned small and large firms and kind of owning your own firm. What has been your proudest moment or your greatest accomplishment um, to this date? You know, um, there, there are two things when you say that that pop immediately into my head. And so, and, and it'd be hard for me to pick one or the other. And so maybe I'll give you, you can two. two. You we'll can see. do two. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I think, I think every trial lawyer has this secret hidden dream of wanting to argue in front of the Supreme Court one day. I mean, if you were going to identify the pinnacle of a career, surely that's got to be way up there. Well, I haven't done that. Oh, exactly. Uh, I haven't been in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. However, I have had cases in front of the Texas Supreme Court. And one of those proudest moments that I have in my career was actually um, winning in the Texas Supreme Court where my opposing counsel was a former Texas Supreme Court justice. Oh. And so not only was I in front of the Supreme Court, I was in front of the Supreme Court opposing a former Texas Supreme Court justice. Right. That was a pretty good win. <laughs> I, I felt really happy about that one. And so the other one um, was a very, very significant case in my career. Um, that involved a will forgery. Um, and I was representing a client whose father had passed away. He was a former member of Indian Parliament and had become a U.S. citizen, resided in Houston. Uh, his daughter was a instructor at Kellogg Business School. Uh, and uh, we believe that he died without a will. Uh, he was very wealthy. Um, his estate had a value of almost $24 million. Uh, and under the laws of Texas, uh, with him dying without a will, his daughter would have inherited everything. He was divorced uh, at the time of his death. And so um, the, the gentleman who passed away's brother uh, lived in India, and uh, he filed a will for probate in India that was um, signed, notarized, three witnesses on official government paper, all that jazz. And, um, and we had a big lawsuit uh, over uh, who inherited his assets. Right. And one of those just amazing, incredible moments was I was sitting with uh, my client at a mediation. A mediation is a settlement conference. And you have a neutral party that is trying to help the parties come together and resolve their disputes. And so we were at this settlement conference. It was one week before the trial. And um, the opposing side made an offer to split the estate with my client. So $12 million would go to my client. $12 million would go to the brother of the decedent. And so my client was sitting there. If she signed on the dotted line, she would have a guaranteed $12 million. And she felt very strongly that the will was a, that the brother was offering was a forgery. Um, but it's pretty hard to turn down $12 million because if you're wrong and you go to trial and you lose, you get nothing. Yeah. And I will never forget being in that mediation and my client looking at me and 
um, saying, you know, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, really, you have to make that decision. Um, I will support you either way, whatever you do. And she got tears in her eyes. And she said, if, if my father wanted me to have nothing, then I will take nothing. Go to trial. So one week later, we went to trial on an all or nothing on a $24 million estate. And uh, we tried the case and the jury was out for less than one hour and came back and awarded my client the full estate. Wow. That is a good accomplishment. That's a great one. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big day because yeah. there, there is that panic moment when the client says, I'm not going to take the $12 million, go to trial, and you know it's on you. Right. No pressure. I mean. <laughs> Just a couple of little dollars here and there. Yeah. $12 million, $24 million, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Or nothing. Yeah. Or nothing. Wow. Right. That is, and I think that's a good, I think, I, I just, I love hearing kind of stories like that in accomplishments of our volunteers. Cause I think whenever we're in panels that where you've kind of sat before, there's not really a lot of time in, like we don't really get into the stories. And that's what I love about this podcast is that it gives you guys a chance, our volunteers a chance to kind of tell more detail and in depth of the things that um, are kind of, I feel like if you think about that moment, that's pushing you towards helping your next client and helping you continue, like thinking back to those great accomplishments are good, good, I don't know, I don't yeah. know what word I'm trying to use, but. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Uh, but the one other thing that I would tell the, the listeners on the podcast is, um, obviously those are two proudest moments. Not every case is a Texas Supreme Court case. Not every case is a 24 million duke it out in court, all or nothing kind of a win. Right. The other end of the spectrum, I've handled an egging case. Like, like how you throw eggs at a car, like how you would. Yeah. So there was a time period in my career, uh, Corinne, when I handled defense cases for big insurance companies. So State Farm. Oh, okay of all state, um, if there was an auto accident or something and a driver got sued, those insurance companies would hire me to defend that person. Well, one time I got a call and they hired me to defend a client who had gotten sued in JP court over a drive-by egging. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some cases are egging and some cases are 24 million. Yeah. It gives you a good, good range. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. Yeah. Every day is different in my practice. Every yes. day is something new. Yes. So on the flip side of that, what do you feel like has been your greatest challenge? Um, so over the course of the years that I have been practicing law, I think across society, we have seen um, people's ability to get along break down. There is generally less civility um, in um, talking about things, social media, um, certainly politics, um, but kind of throughout all aspects of society. And when I started practicing law, one of the things that my boss really pounded into me was um, you, you really need to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, my clients' problems are my clients' problems. They're not my problems. 
And my opposing counsel's clients' problems are not my opposing counsel's problems. My opposing counsel and I ought to be able to represent our respective clients who disagree without being disagreeable to each other. And um, really over the course of the time that I have been practicing law, that has um, largely disappeared. Um, there are lots of good lawyers in this community who I would still trust on a handshake deal, and there are lots that I would not. Um, so one of those great challenges has been um, trying to work through um, people not being civil to each other and even further lawyers not being civil to each other. The other real major one for me, Corinne, has been the acceleration of life. Um, back when I started practicing law, there were no computers. I know that's incredible to believe, that's, that's difficult. And we also didn't have cell phones either. Um, everything took place at a much slower pace. Every document that was involved went back and forth through the regular old mail process and three days to get there and then three days to get a response back. And everything was slower. Right. And in modern practice, um, you know, everything is instantaneous, an instantaneous email, a text, a my clients can reach me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether it's Christmas Day, whether it is Easter, uh, July, it doesn't matter. If my clients have a problem, they know how to get in touch with me. And so some of the balance of life and trying to figure out how to manage a 24-7, 365 kind of a practice has been interesting. Um, there are definite challenges to um, finding personal time. Right. And that, that work-life balance that Indeed. kids, students always ask us about. And it's, uh, the answer is you're always, always kind of learning and you're always adjusting to what's new and what stage of life you're in and kids at home. Are they mobile? Are they doing sports? Are they? <laughs> I tell all the young lawyers that come to work for me, there's always more law tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, when the end of the day comes around, finish off what you need to finish off. If there's a deadline, take care of the deadline. If the client has a, a severe rush, then try and accommodate them. But there's always going to be more law mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yeah, that's good. All right. So the next two questions are my um, favorite questions to ask on the podcast, on panels. And just because I think it gives um, our listeners and our students a sense of understanding where you see yourself, but also kind of where you're coming from and the things that you kind of have learned along the way. So where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I, um, I am at a stage in my career where I have uh, been very fortunate. Uh, I have practiced a long time. I've now practiced longer than I've not practiced. Hmm. And that's, that's one of those stunning moments when you get to that point and you realize, gosh, I graduated from law school when I was 25, and I've now been practicing law for 26 years. Yeah. Um, and so um, chronologically, I am uh, turning 51 this year. Uh, so I am 
fairly well experienced in life. And um, I'm kind of to that point in my career where I'm looking at those kind of winding down type steps a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, in five years, I am not going to be ready to hang up my hat. Right. Uh, I am still enjoying what I do. I'm still having fun at what I do. And I'm still in productive earning years of my career. Um, in 10 years or so, maybe as I hit the early 60, um, that's when I'm really going to be in a wind down stage. Mm -hmm. So for me, the halfway mark to that or five years from now is really doing everything that I need to do to make sure that this business succeeds and thrives beyond me. It's about me and I didn't create this law firm to go bust when I decide to slow down and, and have, a, have a retirement. Right. Um, I want this law firm to continue to be a preeminent law firm in our area and to be a go-to place for people who need the kind of help that we offer. So for me in five years, um, I'm, I'm still going to be the managing partner of the law firm, but I'm going to make sure that I have a good candidate ready to step in the wings to take over at that point in time when I'm ready to slow it down and wind it down towards retirement. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. You're kind of working, I know my, I know for our listeners, retirement is not anywhere near what you are. I mean, it's not near for me as a kind of working in the world, but I know that for the people that kind of getting close to that or have already are accomplishing great things and doing the work and you're setting this law firm and saying out loud that you are working and you're wanting it to continue after, like you're working to build kind of that space in the woodlands for future attorneys, for future clients to come to and know that it's been, that this firm has been a staple within the woodlands for many years and that you being kind of part of that, it's growth. Sure. And so also on, you know, on that theme of what I wish I knew, I would tell the, the listeners to this that uh, although when you're 20, 25, when you are trying to think of all of those working years in front of you, it is never too early to begin financially planning for right. retirement. If the company that you have offers a 401k or any other kind of a retirement planning uh, vehicle, take part in it, participate in it, contribute what you can contribute to it. Because um, if you take care of those dollars, then later on in life, those dollars will help take care of you. Mm -hmm. And then secondarily, I also say that um, it, is, it is not too early to begin thinking about um, the changes in your career over time. Um, most people that start into the workforce today will have between five and 10 different jobs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll have between two and three different careers. I've been in law the entirety of my career. Um, they've been in, as you heard, slightly different law firm arrangements, but all of them have been practicing law. All of them has been as a trial lawyer. 
Um, but my wife changed careers twice. She was a school teacher and a school counselor, and then she became a, a United Methodist minister. Um, and so everything that I see and read about um, people in their 20s today is that they very well may have multiple different careers. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. It's yeah, a good that <laughs> Yes, that is one of those that is okay. It's okay not to know, and it's okay to have multiple, and to just continue and always be learning about yourself. So a lot of our listeners are that high school age. What's that one piece of advice you would go back and tell your 17, 18-year-old self? I think the, the, the other two that you just mentioned are good for those that are kind of college, out, outside, starting to work. What about those yes. high schoolers? You know, so for our high school listeners, um, when I was in high school, when I was 17 and 18, I was going through a crisis. Um, my father had passed away when I was 16 and a half. And my whole world kind of came to a crashing halt. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I went through a very hard time trying to figure out um, what now? Where, where am I? What am I doing? Um, and so if I could go back and if I could tell my 17 or 18 year old self anything, uh, I would say you are good enough. You are strong enough. You are smart enough and you are not alone. There will be others that will help you along the way. Hmm. That's a good one. Well, thank uh, you. No. <laughs> I mean, we've all, we, they've all been good, but I, I do like that. I do like that I'm, one. <laughs> I'm tearing up as I'm saying that because I remember being 17 and feeling so helpless yeah. and feeling so clueless and having all of these wants to go out there and to want to help people and to want to go to college and to want to get into a work world and just feeling like I didn't have any ability to do any of it. Thank you for sharing that. All right. You're welcome. All right. So we um, like to end each podcast on just a two kind of quick questions just to get to know you a little bit better. The two that you have picked is if you could wave your magic wand or in some cases funding isn't an issue and make anything in your line of work different, what would it be and why? So if I could wave my magic wand and make anything in my line of work um, be different, um, I, I would make it to where um, clients could get through our legal system faster. Unfortunately, law is very slow. We have judges that work extremely hard and they are faced uh, here in our county and throughout the state and throughout the nation with way, way, way too much work to do. Right. Our judges carry huge dockets. They have my utmost respect because they, they work tirelessly to try and give people their day in court. And all too often, it takes between 12 uh, months and 18 months to get your day in court. And that is a long time. And, and law, as much as, as I was saying, life is very fast and 24 seven, 365, having to wait 12 to 18 months to get your day right. in court 
is very slow by comparison to the pace of our society. And if I could wave my magic wand and if funding wasn't an issue, I would fund us more courts and more judges mm -hmm. so that everyone could, um, who needed to have their day in court, could get their day in court more rapidly than they currently do. Right. I didn't know, I did not realize the wait could be that long. Yeah. So, wow. All right, and what are three things on your desk that others might not have? Okay, so um, you heard me talk about that case that I had with the, uh, the former member of India Parliament um, that was the $24 million win. Um, I went over to India to uh, take uh, witness statements and depositions uh, from the witnesses and the notary in India and so I brought back with me a, uh, a little carved elephant. Um, and so one of the mementos that I literally, literally have on my desk is a carved elephant, elephant. in India uh, because it reminds me of that case all the time. I right. see that every single day and it reminds me of that particular client and that particular case. So the other two things I have on my desk are things that also remind me of other fun cases that I had. Um, so most people do not have on their desk something called a piece of polyspec tough res flooring with a urethane top coat. Nope, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of my clients uh, was Lexicon Pharmaceuticals here in the Woodlands. Um, they used to have, uh, they don't anymore, but they used to have some vivariums on research forests. A vivarium is a fancy word for a mouse house. Um, they had some very, very special buildings where they housed um, these specially bred genetic mice. And they were building a vivarium. And um, obviously, because these are very specially bred genetic mice, they are uber clean facilities. I mean, they have to be um, super duper clean. And one of the aspects of that clean is they can't have any cracks in the floor because you can get dirt and grime and bacteria and stuff in the cracks of the floor. And then that could potentially be hazardous to the mice that they, that they have for their special purposes. Um, and so polyspec tough res flooring with a urethane top coat is a seamless poured floor throughout the facility. Well, the reason that I have a sample of that and I keep it on my desk is it reminds me of the case after they got the building fully complete, they went in to do a complete decontamination and spraying of the facility. And the company that was doing the decontamination of the facility hooked the wrong hoses up to the wrong barrels and sprayed the facility down with a high acid concentrate. And it ate up the flooring. It no. all of their stainless steel countertops it fried the electronics and their autoclaves, you know, which are the things that sterilize their tools and equipment. It did massive damage throughout the building. And then I got hired to, uh, with two different lawsuits. One was to go after the sanitizing company who did a bad job and screwed everything up. And the other was um, Lexicon made a claim on their own insurance uh, because of all of the damage to their building and uh, the insurance company denied the claim and so I ended up having to sue the insurance company also and we won both cases so 
Uh, I keep that piece of uh, polyspec tough res flooring with urethane top coat because wow. it just reminds me of that case. It's just a little memento for me. Yeah. And then a third thing. So you said three. I've got three. Yeah. Um, so on, on the bookshelf in my office, so it's not on my desk, it's on a bookshelf. I have a, uh, a piece of English bone china uh, that is a teacup. Okay. Uh, and that piece of English bone china came from one of my probate cases where there was a parent who passed away and there was an uneven number of china place settings. And we got all of the other things in the case resolved, the bank account, the house, the cars, all of the, uh, the things taken care of. But these two siblings could not agree on um, the China set. Wow. In my business, they, they actually refer to it sometimes as the battle of the teacups. When all the big stuff is done and then people fight over the little things, the things that are sentimental to them. Um, and in this particular family, it was this set of English bone china. And ultimately, both siblings ended up deciding that they wanted me to put the odd place setting onto my bookshelf to tell the clients that come to my office, don't do this. Right. Don't fight over teacups. Um, your people are much more important than things. Relationships matter much more than stuff does. Right. So I keep that teacup on my bookshelf just as a reminder to me and to everyone that I try to help in my practice of law uh, to help us remember that, that people are important, relationships are important, um, you can always buy another teacup. Right. Wow. You win the three things on your desk that no one else has. <laughs> and I'm also, glad, I'm also glad I only, I'm an only child and won't have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> All good. And, um, and, and don't, don't worry about those kinds of things. Um, it's, it is much more important to, um, to grieve and to care mm -hmm. for around you and let the people around you care for you than to worry about the stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, James. I'm so happy that we were able to um, get this scheduled and have you be part of the What I Wish I Knew podcast. Um, again, you guys are great supporters of EFTA and very involved in our community. And we just appreciate you for all the work that you do. And um, yeah, thank you again. Super fun. Really glad to do this today. So thankful that the opportunity came up uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I hope the listeners did too. Yes, thank you. Listeners, if you'd like to learn more about EFTA and the programs that we offer both online and in person, you can visit us at www.efta-us.org. Thank you so much, James. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too.